So this week I kind of took things in a slightly different direction than the previous episodes. Um, I'm actually sitting down with my best friend Molly and we're just talking about all things that we consider to be important in life, whether it's um, issues of being a woman in the 21st century, whether it's related to education or politics or religion. Um, Molly is a very devout Methodist Christian and she pretty much embodies all positive values of religion. So I really wanted to give her a spotlight to share it because I think she's such a warm light in this world and the type of person she is should be highlighted more. And we do highlight a lot of people that are kind of valueless in our society. And I just wanted to be able to give her that same opportunity. Um, So whether you're listening because you're just lonely in quarantine, you came across a on this randomly or you just are actually invested in like my channel I just wanted to thank you for the time in advance and I hope you enjoy it so without further ado here she is I did not have sexual <laughs> relations with that woman breathe over yeah feel feel free whatever <laughs> too bad this is not like where you have one of those screens yeah <laughs> give me five five <laughs> Uh, confessional. Hey everyone, it's Molly on the mic. Um, yeah, so I guess we can talk about if you wanted to share your little Kristoff story first. Oh yeah. Uh, so pretty much it was one of those where this was my first real, real relationship, which I look back now and all just the other stuff no one tells you about and when you're, you know, you just turned, I'm 27 now, so I was 26 at the time, I'm having my first real relationship and it was the first time that I met someone where it was equal. Uh, Usually in the past, if I ever met a guy, I knew I was the hotter one, I was more successful, I could leave them at any time, but they could not leave me, so it was that control factor. And for the first time, it was a relationship where it's like, oh, snap, this is someone who they could like if they tell me they don't like me, it's going to hurt me. And it's not going to hurt me in a way like other boys who I had crushes on who I knew were better. But if they didn't tell me they liked me, like I could be okay. This was the first one where I started actually feeling things and it would hurt me. I did, I never signed up for a dating website until the time, and of course the first date I go, I went on two dates from it, I went on the date with Kristoff, and I, the next day, I, there was that one time last year I was a pimp, and I was dating three guys at once, um, but then once I met Kristoff, I was like, okay, I want to really date this guy, but it was always, and there's always though in the back of my mind though, is our relationship could end, to, like something could tragically happen tomorrow, and it would be sad and there would be a time of grieving no matter what had happened, but I would be okay and I'd move on and I would be perfectly content just <laughs> living my life and being myself and going after my goals. Like one of my big things is I'm in no rush to get married right now because I'm looking into possibly getting an advanced degree, really pushing with my uh, teaching and just you know kicking ass and taking and also enjoying the fun, being able to go. The best thing, and I was talking to one of the one of my coworkers yesterday, She's like, oh, I got. She's like, oh, do you have children? I was like, no. And she's like, you are so lucky. I was like, yeah, because I'm tired right now, and I can go take a nap, and then I'm gonna go out with some friends, and that would not be possible if I had children. Yeah, and mothers do so much work. Holy shit! Like Like, I was a nan, so I was a nanny um, for this family in Chapel Hill that uh, worked with Obama's administration, actually under like their housing administration. Like I love working 
with all these different kids. It was my favorite thing actually to babysit because I got insight to all of these actually really healthy families. And at the end of the day, they were healthy because they weren't financially stressed. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was huge to see, especially for someone who had come from such a negative family outlook, you know, and like had never wanted kids. And like, I know if I choose to have them like I would be a great mom I'm not worried about that at all I just don't know if I want them Mm -hmm. I don't know and I don't have to figure that out right now but we burden women with like things like worrying about your looks and worrying about what men are going to think of you since it is a male-driven world and the reality of you know our psychological studies are that if you are attractive to some degree you will have more influence there's scientific studies with yeah. research that and prove like that. And it's like how people, like, teachers, like it, yeah. yeah, it analyzes politicians. It's across almost every industry. Like, that is the reality of it. We shouldn't be teaching women that, like, your main concern in life is only to find a partner. That is um, an amazing and huge mm-hmm. feat. Like, Molly and Kristoff are absolutely wonderful. Like, so much fun to hang around. It's like, incredible. Mm-hmm. But I don't sit there and, like... I don't think Molly ever sat there either and really, you know, we might log on to dating apps or something but mm-hmm. or be sad, but we're never, like, we set, the type yeah. of guys we used to date, we dated because we were just trying to, like, fill this void in ourselves and, like, these guys wouldn't, if I had any self-worth at that time, I would never have dated them. It's just crazy because it's, like, it is until you finally feel comfortable and that's why I think I found Kristoff yeah. when I did is, and not to say that once you find, like, once you get there that all, like, then you find them. I always hated when people told me, like, when you stop looking, that's when you find. Yeah. No, that's that's BS and that sets people up in an unhealthy way. When you're really happy with being single, and that's what I was. I was so happy with being single. And then I was ready to find a relationship. I'll never forget one of my favorite moments recently is I went on a seven-day beach trip with my boyfriend and his friends. And... I'm a very social person, but seven days with anybody in a house, I'm just thankful that I'm not on, you know, court TV right now for murdering anybody. But that night he was like, oh, you know, do you want to hang? I was like, I kind of just want to go back because my roommate was out of town. Y'all, I had the bomb ass time. I sat on my couch. I had just taken a nice shower, so I smell good. The fan is on. I have a a glass of red wine, Mm -hmm. and I'm doing the New York Times crossword puzzle. Like, paint me sexy. This is the (laughs) best ever i love it love it oh and so this is amazing too because when we were in high school um i was always very very confident in my body and like part of the reason why i'm so adamant about destigmatizing things like female sexuality like it i shouldn't have to come on a podcast and talk about my sex life and for it to be risque at all but it is and that's the reality of being a woman in this world like i part of why I created like this channel to be able to talk about stuff is because in my professional life, I'm not allowed to, Mm -hmm. um, like even this summer when I was working on the coronavirus in fucking Florida, in South Florida, uh, like hire strippers in in the epicenter of the coronavirus in the United States, my supervisor acknowledged that my skirt was well past the, you know, appropriate length but my legs were too tantalizing and like caused a scene in front of all of my peers and sent me home. And you guys might think 
that's a little archaic. And so I called my aunt who has worked um, in D.C. doing like different kind of international stuff with just this very wealthy man her ent- entire life. So like she took me to Rome and I met like the entire Air- Italian Air Force chief of staff when I was 18. And like I, I sat yeah, there. Yeah, I, mean, the I love Jesus, baby, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, got that. <laughs> I like. <laughs> <laughs> I got this for you. I was like, oh my goodness. Um, and so like I asked her, I was like, hey, like what should I do? Because I am not the type of person that's gonna take that sitting down. Like, I am gonna stick up for what I believe in. Does it make me more popular? Absolutely not. Molly can tell you I was not popular, pretty much ever. I still True. don't necessarily think I am, but for some reason, people seem to, like, actually acknowledge now that, oh, okay, like, even though she's a little difficult, difficult is in parentheses, and it's, like, I'm just adamant about being a good person and, like, contributing positively to the world, and I'm gonna call you out on your shit. I am also an ENTJ, so if you just, like, look up the Myers-Briggs type <laughs> indicator, it, um, it's basically... It, incredibly explanatory and until I found that out in my gap year after undergrad like I was just Mm -hmm. like I've never met anybody like me yeah and what's interesting is is there is there a difference between I feel like you're very well known Mm -hmm. versus popular yeah I think well known you can be well known you you know you put a name to a face Mm -hmm. you know exactly who you are and then popular is somebody who we almost prop up or we think oh they have to be likable but at the same time I don't know they might be the same but they also might be different I think too there's a lot of popular people who are people don't necessarily agree it's just interesting it's interesting with those words and it's interesting with the English Mm -hmm. dictionary I mean for instance I think in Latin or Hebrew love has three words for it where and there's different meanings behind those loves and yet we only have one to describe um, our love. It's like, oh, I love cheese versus I love you. And <laughs> yeah, and so that's another thing. Like for me, I'm very good at compartmentalizing um, because I have to do it in my career. You know, I have worked with oncology for several years now. So in undergrad, I was working in a lab and at MD Anderson in a clinic and a lab. And then I sat there and my very first published work, which was in Nature Chemical Biology, which for those who don't know, it's a huge scientific journal. Like, I met a guy on Bumble, actually, that was, like, 40. Um, I'm 27. I recently am, you know, trying to date guys that Ooh. are a little different from the guys I've dated before. Because men around my age in your late 20s just suck, to be honest. Um, True. Yeah, so I'm just, you know, trying something different. So I matched with, like, some guys who are a little older. And um, this guy was like, oh, I just actually published an article in Nature like it's my first one I'm so excited and I was like oh I actually did that when I was 22 it was my first article (laughs) and um you know I it sounds so bitchy but I have just lucked into this really weird things based out of my love for Mm -hmm. stuff and so I think it's funny when people are like oh she's so mad at the world she like hates the world I'm like no like I hate humans I love the world and um but I don't even hate humans. Like, I, I love my humans, you know? Humans do a good job of messing up good things. How about we... That's a big thing. And yeah. It's the human department that is the most... It, it's, like, almost like you have a beautiful car you build, and it's like, okay, y'all, ready to go. It's the person who drives is the one who wrecks it. The car sitting in the parking lot, 
doesn't do anything. It's the person driving a car that yeah. wrecks something really beautiful. But at the same time, that beautiful car wasn't built to stay in that driveway. It was built to, like, go on the it's road. Yeah. <laughs> fly, everybody. We gotta do it like how Joe Rogan does, where I guess he films his podcast. Oh, well, so, oh, also, speaking of Joe Rogan, I have actually... Part of the reason why I wanted to start a podcast was um, my friend him? Sebastian sent me a... He sent me the Joe Rogan podcast on coronavirus with Elon Musk. And it really frustrated me that somebody could sit there, introduce a topic to somebody, like provide them all of the information on it, Mm -hmm. and then be like, what do you think about it? First off, Elon Musk is an engineer. Mm -hmm. This is like white male mentality in general. You have never been told that it's not within the bounds of your knowledge. Like you should not cross into other boundaries because there are so many white males in history who have been able to do that successfully. Mm -hmm. So you guys have thousands and thousands of role models from Europe to the USA that you, we teach and like we show. And so you, it's never like nothing ever seems unattainable. I run by the white house a couple times a week and I have never once sat there and been like, Oh, I wonder what it would be like to be there because to me, like growing up, I saw that as, oh, I'm going to have to marry someone and then like put on this like awful thing, like fucking Melly and scandal. Like I am no, (laughs) I am not going to do that. Like I am Melly in like the later seasons when she became a badass bitch. She became the president. Oh, hell. I think so. I'm pretty sure. I haven't rewatched it in a while, but when we're able to go live, we're going to have people call in. I know. But I will say one last one thing about Elon Musk. I just don't understand. I get it. He's a successful guy, but people sometimes hype him up to be more than what he is. I read about him the big claim to fame is he helped the company he started. I believe it was X.com or something. It pretty much then got bought by PayPal. So that's how he got his money. So he's a businessman and he's an engineer. People rave him out like he's going to be this scientist to save the world. He's funding the scientists. Yeah. Stop giving him credit that he is the scientist. He, yeah. And so that's my thing. Like, I am a biochemist and an epidemiologist. I like to do the groundwork. But the people in charge aren't the ones actually doing the groundwork that understand the situation. Mm-hmm. And that's our issue with Washington in general. Mm-hmm. So... In public health, you have this idea that you have to bring in people called stakeholders mm-hmm. for every community initiative. If you want it to be sustainable, if you want it to last after you just come in and fix it, which this has a great analogy for how we interact with our international people with our military. Mm-hmm. So take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> so you're supposed to have stakeholders. If you want to achieve something in a different region that you're coming into with you know, either no knowledge or you sit there and think, oh, well, my country is pretty great or my city is pretty great. We were able to do this one thing. It worked out this way. So every other area must be able to do that. A, that's not necessarily true. You have to assess things case by case. So like our country is huge. It is larger than like most of Europe. You the, the, yeah. everything we crazy. do is like if the European Union were trying to enact laws on like the entire all of the countries involved and that seems like an impossible task it pretty much is however it is not so impossible that the shitty job that Donald Trump did is excusable mm-hmm. like that was purposeful which as American citizens you I don't know how you're still refusing to acknowledge that. 
Yeah, and it's it's tough too. I think one of the toughest things, and it drives me up a wall. And I think the perfect case point is my mother. Okay. Mm-hmm. I grew up in an extremely, and just like you too, Katie, we grew up in very conservative <laughs> households. Yes. I mean, it was raise your kids right. Like, I had a button with the, uh, the Republican elephant. My whole life, I voted Republican. I wanted Republican. You thought Democrat was a, t- a de- you know, it was a curse word. Ideas like, for instance, AOC. AOC, uh, like, I'm half and half. Sometimes I'm still, in terms of my, uh, what is it called, my finances, I'm very conservative. Li- I'm very liberal socially. But, and there's some things I agree with AOC with, and there's also, some things I disagree. Hold on, let me we just, should get her on can the I podcast, just yeah. interact real? So, one thing that, you know, Molly pointed out is she's financially, or socially liberal. The thing that I think almost every single Republican white woman, almost, I say that because Texas does exist, but almost every single Republican white woman would say that socially they don't care who wants to get married. Mm-hmm. They don't care. Like, that should not even be a factor. My thing is, as many civilizations throughout, like, anthropological history did not have the concept of sexual identity because they just did not judge it. It was natural, like sex was a normal thing. That is part of being human. And we, by stigmatizing females in this like white Christian traditional nuclear family role, and part of um, what I've struggled with as an adult was I exited college and everyone wanted me to funnel into one thing. And I had to be constantly worried about my professional life. I couldn't even have like a red solo cup in a picture on Facebook God forbid they know a 22-year-old had a fucking drink, you know? Mm. Like, why are we setting these unattainable standards for humans in the world? Even, it's really bad, actually, in the medical community. Not even for women, but, like, men, too. They sit there and, like, as a doctor, you're basically not allowed to show that you're, like, a real human. Yeah. And... Yeah, and there's this idea that, like, professionalism, and there was this recent article about professionalism on social media that gained a lot of attention because it went viral under the hashtag of MedBikini. And it was this idea that compared surgeons' social media use Mm. and basically arbitrarily designated things as unprofessional. And all that served to do was further address that women who are already a minority in surgery were apparently more likely to be unprofessional and their version of unprofessional was like showing skin and mind you this is a medicine a an industry <laughs> devoted to studying the human body like I love the human body I like I'm an artist of life like I like to think that everything I kind of do is art, you know? Like, I like to devote passion to things. I'm emotional about stuff. And, you know, it used to be called, like, dramatic. But what is wrong (laughs) with enjoying whatever you're doing at Mm -hmm. that time? Um, And so in medicine, you know, the human body is amazing. Like... You have so many different things that could have gone in 900 different ways that are making you who you are. 
every single person on this planet is just like an incredible thing. Like birth is in birth is amazing. Like yeah, you have is, a child, literally a hu- oh. you grow a baby inside of you from a mass of cells. Like first off, that's terrifying. Shout out to the women who go through it. Yeah. And also Shout out to the women who acknowledge what a huge commitment that is mm-hmm. and don't and understand that they are not in a position to bring that into this world. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget when Obama got elected, I thought it was the end of the world, everybody. And I voted for Mitt Romney. I voted like I voted all the way down the line. Republican. I was, for those, I was at UNC Chapel Hill, North Carolina Chapel Hill. When Obama was elected, he came to my school twice and I like because of the area we're from, I was so fucking stubborn and like adamant that the things my parents had told me were like right and I should just accept them because like this, you know, they were so smart. They were in the military. They were Mm -hmm. in the government. They must know what they're talking about. I remember what the, we had this girl at our lunch table. Now, she was far-right liberal. She was a little annoying in terms of the liberalism. Mm. But I'll never forget, it was 2010 when the Republicans won the House and Senate back. And I came back in and I was blasting the song, The boys are back in town, <laughs> the boys are back. Like, what the heck? <laughs> uh, and then comes 2015. And I thought, I, I really wanted uh, Marco Rubio. I liked Kasich. I thought, oh my goodness. This is our opportunity to win the presidency, and we had different people. I voted for Marco Rubio in the Virginia primary, and then all of a sudden, I realized, I was like, oh, I think this cheese ball is going to be the nominee. And for the first time in my life, I donated to a political campaign, and that political campaign was Hillary Rodham Clinton. Now, unfortunately... You have Hillary Rodham Clinton, who is the has the most experience. We we literally had compared to the most experienced Secretary of State, U.S. Senator, former First Lady. Boom, boom, boom. But it was Hillary Rodham Clinton running, and there is just something about the Clintons. There is just something about the way she did things. She had baggage, and the fact that she had baggage and she was a woman. Had it been Bill Clinton running with all of this, I think we would have been able to look over it. But that's why. When she lost, and my mother has just since then gone on this vote blue no matter who. This is the same woman who was, you know, I grew up in a very southern, conservative, Baptist, evangelical household. And just to see it, and almost to see this betrayal from your own people, too. um, And that just really hurt my mother. It hurt me. And so now, here I am, ready. Hopefully, y'all, everybody, we gotta act like we're down three points in every swing state. <laughs> uh, come on, get on the Biden train. He can get in there. He can work for two months, and then, you know, Kamala, you know, take over. So, but it's crazy. But it's also, we shouldn't have to get to that. It shouldn't have to be this. It's just gonna be a shithole. It's gonna be a shit show no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Whoever wins is gonna be a shit show. Um, and so that's the other thing is, like, I... I it really pisses me off that we only have two political parties mm-hmm. and so every single issue gets politicized like I have recently you know during quarantine been examining things like my own identity as a person when I actually ha- because this is the first time in my life that like Molly said I have had the time to sit down and think 
what do I actually value as a person? Like who, mm-hmm. how do I want to represent myself going forward? What kind of industries do I want to work in? Um, what kind of bosses do mm-hmm. I want to like search for next? You know, like, cause I, right now I'm in an interim period of teaching and I, I moved home actually in December. Um, I was working a surgical dermatology job prior to that because I, you know, was really intent on going to med school after my epidemiology program. I just could never really bring myself to sit down and study for the MCAT because I was able to go to France for three summers in a row. And so I'm um, do the same thing. Yeah, so I got paid to, oh, to nanny for a family in France for three years, um, which was awesome and has taught me so many things about so many different cultures that I will never regret making that decision. But so I quit that job and I loved my job. She was working on getting me into like med school and stuff. Like she invited me to all of these like family functions to get to, you know, network and know some of like her peers and whatnot. And I approached her about the financial issues I had. And mind you, we had been increasing our schedule so that she could make more money. Like she was expanding the practice. She she's basically playing Monopoly with the dermatology in Chapel Hill of North Carolina. And it's so like incredible to see, but I was under, you know, this perception that she was also trying to help me grow as a person. And I was like, Hey, can I have like a $3 an hour raise for (gasps) these expenses? And she was like, I think it's time that you find another job. And I was like, okay, like, first off, like, that's insulting. Second off, like, you're asking me to use my master's and do all this research for you and help you develop these products, but you don't want to pay me for it? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to work for free. You guys have taught, you know, our parents like to complain and say we're lazy or entitled, but they taught us to know our worth, to, like, defend the labor that we're doing. And, like, the reality of why I like to talk about that so much is partly because... I would not be able to do any of the things I wanted to do if, like, we didn't have a solid working class in yeah, America. Yeah, and we don't have any. We're, yeah. I love sewing people up. Turns out I love cauterizing things, seeing the inside <laughs> of the human body. Tonight um, on 2020. I Murder! <laughs> she would do it. You'd be, like, a vigilante, though. You'd be a badass. I asked my mom Dexter. recently. <laughs> yeah. No, I love Dexter and, like, okay, how to get away with if, murder if I go and miss that stuff. Good thing I am a big-time true crime fan. Like, I am... I'm a diehard murderino, so you, you know, Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark are, like, two of my idols. I just, they're wonderful humans. Um, I love the kind of content they put out. (laughs) It's crazy how I love the one meme. It's, like, entry-level job. You need to have a master's degree, three years experience, uh, two gold medals, and (laughs) it's not applicable. I mean, you look at the teacher. I love because we're both, you know, Katie yeah. right now is teaching. I've been teaching for, this is my fifth year. I love teaching. I truly, when they shut things down, and this past week, even though we're virtual, getting back to my kids, like working with them and working even in the tough environment that we work in. I will say virtual learning. One girl was mm-hmm. like, I'm glad we don't have fights anymore. I'm like, me too. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but at the same time too, I have a master's degree I am fully, you know, state certified, so I had to go through all that process, I, you know, all that, and yet I have a job where I can work hard, I can be a great teacher, and yet 
the money is not there to reward those who are really great teachers. The only way you can become, you know, the only way to get money in education is to either be admin or you go work for a company that supplies, that is a consulting. We have a consulting group that works because we're mm-hmm. Title One. we're not accredited. We're, you know, low of the low. You look us up. We're one of the worst middle schools in the country. And... Yeah. And in Maryland, I work for a school that is not technically Title I because we only designate Title I for elementary schools mm-hmm. so that all the thought process is that all of the funding gets devoted to those elementary schools. But so my middle school kids, we have like broken toilets and just like there's nothing on the walls of our school. They look like what you saw in Bring It On when they go to like the clovers town like that's like how our schools looked and molly and i grew up 10 minutes from the school i work at and had a completely different experience like we never had people walking around in the hallways unaccounted for um we definitely never had people hooking up in the bathrooms in middle school or you know talking back to the teachers or fights like you might have a little thing here and there but it was never we have multiple fights a day, and um, we had at Milton Summers maybe one fight a every year. Yeah, like <laughs> it was usually the one fight that happened a year, and it's usually the two kids who are. If you even had a bad kid here, and there was mm-hmm. like the only two bad kids in the school, it's just it's crazy how in our system, and then when we get into talking about like systematic racism, how it works in the system, and how you can work. We we try in these schools. We we have this vision in America where education is your ladder, it's your ticket, and it is. And in most cases it is, but at the same time though, we don't treat it that way. We don't fund it that way. Mm-hmm. And how we fund it is not how, I can get, for instance, our school, our Title I school, had to give, lend out other schools calculators because we had so many calculators. Everybody wanted to buy us calculators. Okay, that's great. I love that we have so many calculators. But you're not going to increase the funding for teachers who are there at 6 o'clock at night, who have to sit through all these daggone meetings. I have a me- When I was in school, it's better virtual. Here's the sad thing about virtual. There are some really great things in terms of it helps the teacher teach. Like, I actually have breaks. I actually can go to the bathroom when I need to. The class behavior is more manageable the breaks are so the breaks are good the fact that i can use the restroom in between my classes is incredible and it's my bathroom i don't have to go like people wonder why they're like why they shut the schools down i was like have you ever been into a middle school bathroom that's corona ready to happen it's disgusting yeah and um so you know with the topic of public education and like our schools some of my kids don't even have internet at their homes and so it's frustrating seeing there and seeing people pushing for schools to go back when I am in in a unique position because I am an epidemiologist and I have been working on this um I kind of felt useless when we switched to online school in the spring so I signed up to work for the state of Florida as an epidemiologist mm-hmm. like and I was balancing my online school and this and I could do both and like I felt very uh useful but when I teach I feel so useful because these kids at some of these schools like, have never been asked what their, like, goal career is. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't think about it. They, 
like they feel like nobody cares about them and could you imagine growing up like that like I grew up in a hard a really hard household for emotional reasons Mm -hmm. but I loved school (laughs) I was I mean I think you're if you could be if you could get paid to go to school I think that'd be your job like there's her goal her career but to me life is about learning so Mm -hmm. I told my students the other day you know right now when you're in school you're learning math and science and English and that kind of stuff but at some point you're gonna be able to choose what you're gonna learn about Mm -hmm. and we always push education but we push it in a way of like college and have almost completely neglected things like trade schools and like occupational things that so what's the point of sending people outside of their communities if they don't aren't being able to do a job or career that they're going to be able to do like back with their family and it it goes back and if we want to take with the education and the systematic is you know one of the big problems i see is you have parents and you have guardians who at the end of the day if someone has a good job and they can make money this is my belief also it might be wrong it might be right whatever it's mine um if someone has a good job where they can feel proud of the work they do they can go home they can provide for their families therefore they're going to be able to create a positive cycle Mm -hmm. so people say okay how do we start that a lot of times people say oh we need to start in the education well the education only affects the child really um, in terms of how we think about it in our K through 12. Mm-hmm. But what about the parent? What about the adult? What about the person in their mid-20s? I think we neglect a lot about that. How do we help them find good jobs? Not necessarily, people are always like, there are jobs out there, there are jobs uh-huh. out there. Yeah, there's always jobs out there, but they have created it and so that, you know, with gov- like some government assistance, is we have created the working poor where people can get by. You can go live in... Um, government funded housing or section eight housing so okay you live in a really crappy place and then you can still you can make food you can put food on the table you can do that but it doesn't get better because they need access to cheap labor they need the people that can only pay minimum wage instead of actually you know paying this i mean sometimes i and i i regret this now this guy one of my ex flames he worked at Costco, and I kind of gave him a little crap. I was like, well, you mm. work at Costco. Well, Homeboy was making 20 bucks or more an hour, and he Costco has one of the best retention rates. Their CEO ha- pays their people a living wage. Mm-hmm. The average, if you just want to be a bagger at Costco, you make about eleven eighty, and if you want to be a cashier, you start out at $15. And guess what? You're pretty fucking happy being a bagger if you, if like your aspirations in life might involve things like your family and your home life, not your you fucking 40 ready. hour a week job. And so in the U.S., we do, yeah, in the U.S., anyway. we do have like this um, work to live culture because that is what it used to be when, you know, generations above us lived but the purpose of technology is not supposed to be to make life more difficult and so we had this huge unprecedented technological boom that also like paralleled people having to be more accountable because all of a sudden their actions were coming into play so we're gonna have these huge movements like me too and things like the harvey weinstein and Ghislaine maxwell and um jeffrey epstein debacle that probably means every goddamn person in our political system at the top or any really any 
you know, military system as well, has probably done some incredibly questionable things. They did not get there based on merit. Yeah. And that is how the world works. And for some reason, we as Americans want to pretend like it's not. We want to point fingers at both. And it's like, excuse me, they're all shitty. Like, let's acknowledge that. My thing that's <laughs> crazy is literally in 2020, y'all, we found out that there, the, that there are aliens, like that UFOs do exist. And the United States have had aliens. And yet, because 2020 has been so crazy, no one remembers that part. Like, I still look back and I'm like, guys. I think my favorite thing from the Area 51 stuff, too, was the meme that was, like, somebody in the Pentagon had to explain to a general, like, what a Naruto run was. And I, so for those of you who don't know me, my dad was an aerospace engineer. Uh, He designed nuclear weaponry in the Pentagon for a long time, like, during 9-11. He worked there. Um, I have actually slept over the Pentagon before, which is usually my little fun fact um about me like what's something interesting oh here you go um which actually he smuggled me into the pentagon i was smuggled under like a backseat into the pentagon and slept over there like i remember the corridors and stuff because i have a photographic memory like it, it's it's weird it's like a weird memory you know but it's fun to talk about and then my grandfather on my maternal side also worked in the Pentagon. So he was a colonel in the U.S. Army. Um, he fought in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. Vietnam. Let me actually... Is that his first name? Yeah, his name's Meredith. Um, Tut. Mm-hmm. He went by Tut. So that should tell you, like, as in King Tut. That was his military nickname. Um, where's his little obit? Oh, here it is. So my family lineage is traced very far back because when my grandfather was older in his later years, after his long military career, he went back and did all of this research for it. Um, We were originally from Missouri. My family house in Missouri is actually a national, uh, like, historic artifact, I guess. Um, So when they went had to bury him he was buried in missouri and my family could stay at the house which i think is really cool i don't think that's a normal thing but um so it's really cool for me to study it because he would never tell me it because he said i was a feeble-minded woman and like did not like to share his stories with me um he also had incredibly hard like ptsd uh i mean the man fought like in three wars he was one of the people who had exposure to agent orange so my whole life was like being aware of different like biochemical things and like the realities of the world because my family was Mm -hmm. the people who were responsible for some of the realities of the world or working on and privy to information on it and you know that's a hard life to grow up in but it is uh, like personally I think that's more realistic like mm-hmm. you never want to think about children not being naive but when you're not being honest and talking to children like they're actual like human beings and you're just sheltering them from pretty much everything like a a good part of that needs to be healthy communication mm-hmm. and we have moved away from healthy communication in our country oh yeah because our media you know is so biased for the most part um it just works towards like all this hatred and 
somebody needs to step in, especially our leaders should be stepping in and saying, this is not right. And you know, as much as disdain as I had for Obama at the beginning of like, I was convinced he was going to be the worst thing. I am sitting here like going like, what the fuck was I thinking? (laughs) Like, holy shit. Like, I am often, I struggle with the idea that, you know, I value life so much. And for some reason, it comes off as, like, me hating everything. And I'm like, no, I I, I love it, actually. Like, I think, like, what we have the ability to do on this planet is mm-hmm. so cool, especially with technology. Like, we can connect to all of these different communities all over the world. Mm-hmm. And especially in the developed world, we have countries with years and years of data that we can extrapolate from and, like, potentially use in our communities. So we have different public health programs in, like, Switzerland regarding, like, drug use and, like, legalization of marijuana and heroin and meth and, like, making it so the government can develop those chemicals and... Uh, you basically go to like a government sponsored med clinic and you can get a certain number of clean doses a day if you're an addict and they slowly wean you off of it. It's what's called a harm reduction approach. Just like our needle exchange programs in the US, these, these are harm reduction approaches. Is that our end goal? No, but it's not reasonable to assume that you can just quit cold turkey. Some people can. My grandpa, diehard alcoholic, went through a handle of gin a day. When he died, he left 127 bottles of gin at his house. All with our last name on it, just because he liked it. (laughs) But um, he quit cold turkey a few times in his life and was fine. Not everyone has that willpower or can or has... Access to support. Yeah, access to support that makes them feel like they can do it. And when you're raised, like raised in environments that like you're constantly being criticized or like you're scared to try because you think you like you're worthless or something like that, you're not going to be able to do it. I think I care about this so much because by the time we left high school, we had probably like I had probably gone to at least 20 different people's funerals. Hmm. And a large part of those were either like suicides or opioid overdoses or um car accidents like things that were usually due to either negligence or um access to things that your parents were probably like had access to which crazy too because um that also ties in when people talk about like oh if someone grows up in a household where their parents are addicted to drugs like there's no way they can get out well the same is is somebody can grow up in a very loving middle-class home and then they get on the drug like these drugs and then they overdose they die Mm -hmm. when they're uh you know 26 or because they don't have a purpose sometimes the purpose is just gone and that's why i think the big thing is and they don't have access to the support so when we do these generalizations and when the media does is they make these just big things. It's just one group has this one problem. No, that problem actually exists all out. Yeah. There's pockets of it. In every community all across the U.S. It's just maybe it's not your community, but it's probably one pretty close by that, you know, may soon start to affect the people within Mm -hmm. yours. And 
these are all very preventative things. Like there is so much scientific data that shows it is financially worth it. So this is the thing that gets me about like why Republicans don't like are condemning like liberal public health programs so much is Republicans kind of always vote on like the basis of either money or military or religion. And money tends to be far and away kind of their largest issue. Yeah, and it always depends on, it's like if the money drives it or the money does not, or it is not affected by the money. I think one of my big things, and you know, this might dive into, is like, why do I have like, I'll let everybody know, like, um, I'm a pretty, I go to a Methodist church. I'm a very liberal Christian. And one of my big things I get into is spats with my other friends. Like, I go to this women's small group and why they vote for Donald Trump. Um, maybe because I'm so, like, anti, you know, not yeah. anti-religion, but, like, anti-misuse of religion. And, like, I personally am not religious. Yeah. Um, You're for all the spiritual aspects. Yeah. It's the institution. Yeah. That has failed. Um, and it's the biggest, like, gripe when I talk to people about it. It's, it's when they name things, that's the big one. It's like everything they name, I'm like, no, no, you're, you're right. And that always throws people off. Yeah. People never have a problem with the, te- rarely do people have the problem with the teaching. They might have disagreements. They might say, I don't necessarily agree with that. It's how people then ena- enact it. And then they use it to manipulate. I know Noodle. <laughs> noodle wants the butt scratchies. That's why Noodle. Um... <laughs> And that's what the big problem. And so when you try and then come at and people who have had just terrible, terrible experiences and instead of just coming at and saying. I was one of those people. My dad, my biological dad called me a whore. It's getting good. It's getting good with the sex issue. So. Uh, my, my biological dad, when he found out that I was sexually active, he like screamed at me and called me a whore. And I found out years later that he actually had um, lost his virginity to a sex worker. And just, you know, the hypocrisy in the fact that, you know, he sought out a service and then is going to, like, use that as an insult is, like, slut-shaming 101. And that is what I had to grow up in because I was raised very religiously mm-hmm. initially. Um, my parents wanted me to do the whole debutante coming out to society, like... I did gymnastics and horseback riding. Yeah. So <laughs> Molly, uh, my friend, our, our mutual friend Bradley, Bradley from high school, and I did this scholarship competition our senior year for our local county fair. And if you ever wonder how rural the area we live in is, it is the mm. queen of the county fair is called Queen Nicotina for the tobacco farming in the the flower of the tobacco plant yes and it's like a 4-h area so i grew up doing pony club and like grew up um in the horse community around here so i you know like molly and i said our where we grew up has a very unique setting because we did live through and it started as an f5 tornado they later downgraded it like two years after to an f4 
but it an was an F4, F4 tornado. That's like saying, what was it? Didn't Hurricane Katrina, they yeah. said it was a Category 4, even though it was yeah. like, yeah, look at, you, that destruction like, ain't no Category 4. Yeah, like, okay, our hometown was decimated. Like, we lived through that. We've lived through so many, like, being in the epicenter of, like, the opioid epidemic. We've lived through a lot of different um, issues with, like, deaths in our local community. We've seen the effects of, like, rural and lack of access to health care. We understand the farming aspect of it, but we also are two miles away from the border to, like, Waldorf, which is the urban area right outside D.C. We have D.C. within an hour, so, you know, every school trip and everything, we were in the nation's capital. Mm -hmm. Like, I definitely didn't appreciate that for what it was until way later like until probably until college and then I came back and like people in Florida have never even been to the nation's capital and think politics is like unattainable for them and I I've never once questioned it because it always was right there like everyone's family members are a part of it (laughs) um and so it's just you know we grew up in this area that can relate to pretty much every different aspect of the USA and we have friends and like family members and people who are so influential on these like underground levels, but because of either like their professions or something like that, they're not actually talking to the communities that would benefit most from like hearing their stories because there's not really a way for them to like, how do you do that when you exist in another world, you know? And on that topic, like, we've kind of gotten into how communication is so difficult. Some of these are very loaded discussions that have a lot of competing viewpoints, so it is harder to address it. And people are so reactive that we never actually get to the constructive parts of those topics. When you bring up, for an expression in our house, like, we bring up the things now, it's like, was was the Iraq war. We mm-hmm. should not have gotten into the Iraq war. And at first people were like, so you're disrespecting those who died. No, 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 no. no. The, the sad thing is... are the ones who died. The they hero, were just following orders. They were just doing... The people in the middle just doing what they were supposed to do. And it is... We don't hold the ones at the top because how many of those people are still in power? And how many of those people yeah. in Congress? We look at this. I, I mean, I wonder what Steny Hoyer's vote was. I... You know, as a morally ethical human being, I don't feel like our government represents me in any way. And that's disappointing. As an American citizen, that's disappointing. But the only way to change that is to actually, like, get involved and understand what's going on and, you know, make it easier so that... Is that noodle? Um, no, that was teeny outside the bed. But we need to, like, make it easier. We have this technological boom. Why the fuck haven't we adapted for it? Why don't we know who the people that are living in our country are, you know? And there's something to be said for being scared of, like, government control. But people are mostly scared of government control because we do have an incredibly corrupt system. We don't have publicly funded elections. We don't have... Yeah, like, John Kerry... Sorry, John Kerry voted for the Iraq ruler. Yeah. I'm just looking up... People, there's some people who are like. I mean, at the time, honestly, so the you know you read all those conspiracy theories about like nine eleven, and like my dad's one of the people who were. Ron Paul was against he, it. He was working in the like mm-hmm. the Pentagon, and then like when the Boston Marathon bombing happened, he helped like analyze the bomb and you know stuff like that. Like he w- he's the type of person who would disappear out into the ocean every couple of months and just come back with these empty like shells of warheads and stuff. Like it was insane stuff that he couldn't 
ever talk about. But he, you know, at some point he acknowledged like, oh, well, you know, I think people misuse the phrase that Bush did 9-11 because, like, they say he knew it was going to happen. But we get thousands and thousands of terrorist threats every single day to this country because that's what terrorists do is like they flood the channels they're not just like they're they're not sitting there trying to you know remain completely hidden like they're out in like the local communities they're sitting there people know the signs um and we have that with our domestic terrorism and stuff too you know like there are definitely children that I went to school with that I have sat there and been like if they come in and shoot up this school, mm-hmm. like, I will not be surprised at all. And that's the reality of it. And, like, you guys might think that's new. I don't understand the concept of, like, school shootings being new because when I was at Matula, we had the DC sniper going around. Mm-hmm. So we, we've, I've grown up dealing with, like, school shooting drills. And, we like, also had our hometown destroyed by an F4 tornado. Yeah. And yeah, and so Molly and I come from and anthrax. Yes, and September 11th. Yes, Molly. No one are on it. Oh, by the way, I probably, Steny Hoyer voted against the Iraq War. So any misconception earlier, my. But my thing is, people should not have. I should not have to look up records from people for their 2003 vote that are still in office today. Well, that? I wouldn't even, uh, you know, we sit there and idolize the founding fathers were like 25 years old. What, like, what was the average age of them? Let me look at All up. I know is, but they also were not in power for that long. They, yeah. they did what they needed to do and then they went home. I mean, and also, they were tired. Why would, yeah. And the thing is, is when we bring up stuff like this, it is seen as radical because it's like, oh, you don't like the current system. It's like, no, I think it's pretty obvious that the current system does not actually like work to convey what the American people want. And so everything becomes a matter of life or death. And in a developed country, you should not be sitting there like worried about life or death for things like homelessness. Yeah. Uh, there's mental health issues, and then that stems into drug abuse his, uh, issues or drug abuse. Like, we don't yeah. have that because we're not going to fund it. And so then we had the same people who, I mean, it's like how we look back and we think, oh, my goodness, we had the best TV when we were in our early 2000s, like the best songs, the best TV. Mm-hmm. And we think about we had the best country because that's what you grew up in, but they don't see now what we have now. And then. And so I think one thing in particular that is especially obvious with capitalism is we're always in this like go 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 world and it's ultimately not sustainable i think it's very obvious that most americans live well beyond their means and that idea was introduced with you know consumerism and it we do need to address it like freedom as a country doesn't just mean we get to ignore the rest of the world i'm sorry anyone who's like very nationalist and centric that kind of makes you an asshole. Like, you are exploiting slave labor elsewhere. You are ignoring the fact that other communities outside of your own do not have even something like healthcare or access to safe drinking water. We have that in the U.S. too, so not even looking internationally. We have these issues that we are condemning on a global stage within the United States. And because we sit there and do the, well, like, oh, it's not my backyard, it's not my fault, we basically 
excuse accountability on any level and that's not appropriate like we do have with this technological boom we should be holding people accountable we should be requiring corporations to consider the impact of um, their work and what they do and they know this going in this isn't new people have just we've made it easier to be bad with our laws than we've made it easier to be good and we need to kind of maybe start making those adjustments and not excusing them anymore. And now back to the topic of Donald Trump. And they're like, well, he's, uh, he's pro-life. And I was like, that is the only, co-. I was like, name one other Christian value that he then supports. And they look, they, they, they can't. Because he, to him, he doesn't care because there's no money involved. If Donald Trump was making money off of abortions, not that that ever is. Like, first off, it's a, my, my belief is, it's my body is my body and it's not my job to tell you what to do with your body and that's just how i am we also don't have programs in place yeah. to support people who if they decide to go through we love it when the baby is the you know unborn but as soon as the baby is born we will we throw them into systematic poverty and we see that and also then you can have or you, then you, you have, have mothers who are even in well-educated homes but are have postpartum depression and don't feel like they can access resources. So the children grow up with family members who are just depressed. My mother is chronically depressed. And, like, so my stepdad, he's one of these, you know, Donald Trump supporters. I But that man has given my mother a new life. Mm-hmm. And, like, I can never repay him for that my mom is so happy now she is like a completely different person than the person she was with Mm -hmm. my dad and um molly also like part of the reason why i'm so you know pro-choice is that i when i was in high school i dated a absolute psychopath yeah this guy was crazy he was crazy yeah and i tried to break up with him so many times and i could not and part of the reason was like my family kept letting him back in um and like he would then guilt me like basically gaslighting abusive relationship 101 um and he tried to get me pregnant so i could not leave for college Ah, joke is on him. I would have 100% walked my ass down to Planned Parenthood. Like, there was not a goddamn chance I was letting that man bring a child into the world. Let alone with me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be responsible. I went to UNC. Like, I had never even visited it before I went there. Part of the reason I chose it was it was out of state and away from him. I needed a physical barrier to Mm -hmm. be able to get away from him. And, like... My mom just told me recently that she always let him in and stuff like that because she thought he was going to kill me. Mm. So, you know, that's nice, but it would have been nicer if it, like, I had been protected. But yeah. my mom was also in an abusive relationship, like, she, with my dad. Like, and her grandfather was abusive. And it was it was one of those where you do the best you think you're doing the best you are at that moment like at that moment your mother thought she was doing the best for you and hindsight you know it might have been at the time we all I always look back it's like oh I wish it was like at the same time that had to happen for a reason that had to happen in order to develop your story it's like chapters in a book everybody Mm -hmm. has chapters in a book that are not pretty and yet those are the chapters that make who you are and that was sucking 
it was one of those I always gave the reference. It's like Hitler in Germany, okay? So when you, <laughs> Germany, you know, you, you at that time, you you still had, there was other things going on in your life with um, home life and just how people were at school. And so when somebody comes in your life and at first they look really good, like, okay, this person is this, this. It's like Hitler in Germany. He's saying he's going to do all these things. He's kind of that strong arm. You're like, I, you know, I like this. I like this brings like a... You're like, it's new. It's like a new. sense of... It's, uh, it's kind of like, you know, and all of you men love to be like, oh, I love being in control. So you see like Donald Trump do that stuff and you're like, hell yeah, a man who's like taking charge. But you guys are being pussy whipped by him. Like, <laughs> like that's what's happening. You're the ones who are like under this BDSM yeah. mind fuck that is Donald Trump's regime. <laughs> and I love it because um I'm so blessed uh, my my boyfriend, he's actually very moderate, very liberal. He was a, he was at Bernie. He loved Bernie, um, and he enjoyed that. And he also though is somebody who who's kind of an anarchist. He he's ready for the. He thought COVID was going to bring the zombies, uh, which he was hyped because he which, always. <laughs> to be fair, I will say part of epidemiology and like what the government has to do is preparing for scenarios. So we do have things like Walmart's refrigerated trucks are on, you know, like a back order or contract so that if we need to transport them to a mass grave site in the Midwest, things like that are what our government has to do because their job is to be prepared for every scenario for us. Can you imagine what it would be like in that room? Be like, all right, y'all, uh, we need to make the plan for the zombies. Um, like, actually, I could. I think I would be very good at it. would be like, this I, is what I've been I, talking yes, about. I am literally like evil in human form. I have just enough empathy that I actually want to help the world <laughs> instead of hurting it. But believe me, like... I sit here and I basically embody like Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty, but in like a small blonde woman, um, just as evil of a scientist. But that's literally how it is. But so I sit here and I'm looking at the state of the world and it's not unprecedented. Like, you know, right now we're in unprecedented times. But as far as like the social injustice goes... None of this is new. So I honestly struggle with why people are so surprised at it or why they feel like this is unreasonable. Like you, we sat there and pledged allegiance to the flag for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for every single citizen. And now we're demanding it. And the rest of the country that taught us these values is questioning it. For the 2016 election... My boyfriend at the time went to Clemson and Auburn, and he actually was written out of his family will when he went to Clemson because his whole family is like diehard Auburn fans. And there will be several stories with this one because like we've gotten pulled over and he's like fought with the police and stuff like that. Like is white privilege at its epitome. His dad is a lawyer. Um, and he's from small town Georgia, Gainesville, Georgia, which is like the chicken capital of the world. <laughs> um, it's like right around where that, oh, what was his name? Ahmad Arbery, Arbery yeah. guy, um, like was shot to death. And like after that, we, my ex-boyfriend had a mutual friend named Uridatu, who's actually from my hometown. He ran with 
um, him in college, though. And Ray Dachu posted something about, like, Black Lives Matter, and I've always been very, ad- like, a huge advocate for it ever since my public health program. Um, there's, you know, there's literally just no denying there's the statistics ac- mm-hmm. across anything. And this is generational stuff, you know. And we know that all of this stuff competing together is incredibly stressful. Nobody's undermining that. Nobody is saying we have perfect answers, but we are refusing to do a lot of things that we could address. And stress does um, affect everyone differently. And sometimes it is hard to confront the reality of it. But ignoring it doesn't really make it go away. And everyone does process stress differently, but we need to start uh, prioritizing mental health, prioritizing healthy relationships, healthy communication, and being able to identify when you are stressed. And, you know, for like those of us white people who are especially stressed right now with all these topics of like diversity and not knowing what to do, I would just like to point out that we could have just fucking stayed in like our European countries and we didn't have to give a bunch of people really shitty free cruises over to this continent and then sit there and complain about the fact that now we have to account for diversity. Like, sorry, the rest of us are benefiting from this system that was set up by our ancestors or by other white people, and now we have to address it, and that's the reality of it. And yes, it's super stressful, um, but we do. We have, to, we have to acknowledge it. Sorry. Sorry if you don't like hearing that. It's the truth. Like Lizzo said, truth fucking hurts. <laughs> Stress isn't just like a you know, a mental manifestation either. It also has physical effects. The different parts that happen in terms of how your body reacts. Last Mm -hmm. year, I took on, you know, several different roles. I got a promotion. I was, you know, at 26 years, it's old. It's like, wow, here I am. I'm I'm teaching in a Title I middle school. I'm now a adjunct professor. I, I am killing the game in terms of being successful at 26 years old, but we don't understand the effect it takes on the body. I lost within a month, I lost 25 pounds. Um, and I am not a, you know, thick person. I'm pretty well built. I'm very like, I'm healthy weight. So when I dropped, I actually dropped below my high school weight and it was noticeable for the first time I had my friends asking me if I was okay. And they're like, you are looking really skinny. And it's not like the skinny, like, ooh, you lost like a pound, like a couple pounds. You're looking good. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But it's also important to note that for women, it might have started as looking, oh, like, you look great. You've lost a mm-hmm. few pounds. And you're like, that sends this signal that you're doing something right in your mind. And so you're like, hell yeah, let me keep losing weight for that positive reinforcement of like, mm-hmm. I'm doing something good. And the reality of it is, like, you're losing weight for an unhealthy reason Mm -hmm. that's stemming from stress and, like, from something that is negative. That's never going to be a positive Mm -hmm. thing. And then it takes the the toll on the health in terms of, you know, now it's like, oh, you know, hey, here I am. I'm skinny. But it was difficult because I had pretty much developed a eating disorder. Like, unbeknownst to myself, like, if you ever meet me, I, I love food. I love cooking. But at this time in my life, this last fall, and it wasn't until later on that I realized it was a eating disorder 
caused by stress, caused by my own, just my thought process, because I thought my stomach was having issues. And it wasn't until I had one coworker, because me being me, oh heck no, I'm not gonna go to the doctor if I have to go to the doctor. It's gonna take somebody pretty much holding a gun, like not a real gun in my head, but like a, uh, what is it called? Fictional, what is it, imaginary, what's the word? that word i don't know but if if anyone's you know listening to this we are eventually going to get into a story not today (laughs) but molly and i have actually been held up at gunpoint together in high school um so her being like not a real gun a fictional (laughs) gun not a real gun is definitely yeah is definitely like you know for lack of better words, triggering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you get a sound over, you can add that to it. I know. But... We're such losers. It's okay, though. And Molly and I did not have a cool childhood. Mm-hmm. Like, we... It was wonderful. It was pretty, you know... I mean, it was. it's interesting because one of the biggest feedbacks I got... I'm a very social person. I love to go out. And when COVID hit, though, I everybody had the stay-at-home orders. And we couldn't go out to bars. And I had a friend. She said a very snippy comment. She's like, I just don't understand how you're doing so well with this. You're, you're surprising me how well. And I, and, you know, I thought and told her, like, well, growing up, growing up in at my summers... I didn't, I wasn't one of those super cool kids who got invited to pool parties and it was pretty much, you know, Katie and I, we had our own, we lived in our own (laughs) little bubble and it was pretty much in high school. It was wake up in the morning, go do your runs. Katie had probably like a five to 10 mile run. I would do my three mile run because I, that's how I am. And then you spend the day kind of just at home or in the backyard or just talking with each other or talking maybe with like one or two people, but that was it. And it was never, let's go somewhere. It was, let's stay here and making the best of being at home and finding the peace in that. And that's the thing. We're in such a go, 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 go world. Yeah. And with COVID, it brought me some peace in the fact it slowed me down. I went from going 100 miles per hour, doing everything, to just being content of being a middle school teacher uh, focusing in on my relationship and focusing in on my real friends and realizing I don't have to go everywhere. I don't have to do all of this. Mm-hmm. And I will say my bank account has certainly, uh, you know, benefited from <laughs> it too. I mean, <laughs> but I don't know. I, this is kind of a nerdy thing is I start doing the, the New York Times crossword because you can get the app. You would. For, so <laughs> Molly, Molly also watched C-SPAN in high school yeah, and like probably still does, I think. Um, she is just like, she loves that kind of stuff. So is her doing the New York Times crossword is not surprising. It's the most peaceful thing. It's probably good vocab, like it's SAT kind of. Very good vocab. It's fun. It teaches you to just think through. It's okay if you look up a clue now and then. But sorry to cut you off, Molly. But um, so back to the topic of like, we're keeping people in these cycles of stress. And we do have the ability and power and knowledge to address it. And at this point, the only real thing is that we're refusing to. Like, there's no excuse for it. Um, It's scary to admit it, especially as a white person, because you sit there and you're... Like, the people who are scared to admit it are also in this other labor class that's only slightly maybe above that poverty line. Mm -hmm. So, But you guys think you've gotten out of poverty 
And the reality of it is like, no, the majority of the people in the U.S. are poor. We have a huge disparity in wealth. Mm -hmm. And being poor should, like, that's not an insult. That's not a reflection of your work. I have worked every goddamn day of my life, like, on a farm. I, so I come from a farmers. Mm -hmm. Like, my grandpa basically set up our house as a little commune like a military compound our neighbors were secret service like Mm -hmm. we worked that farm every fucking day like bailing hay let letting horses in taking care of horses is hard work Mm -hmm. taking care of horses on 75 acres of tobacco farm is way harder work and so like but I don't make money for that Mm -hmm. so and like as a teacher I'm happy but I if I were to just, you know, say, okay, let me just live my life out as a single woman, as a teacher for the rest of my life, I will always live in poverty. You'll never, it's, it's crazy too. I'm finally, this has been like the past year. And one of the reasons why I'm at the school I'm at is the federal loan forgiveness for teachers. So this is different than the one you always hear, like the controversial one. This is actually the legitimate one. If you grind it out for five years in a Title I school, and it varies on what you do. If you are a elementary ed, you get 5000 forgiven. However, the big money is if you are math or science, I think English might count. I need to look that up. Or special education, you get, and if you were in a middle school or a high school, that is when you get 17500 But... And everybody looks at it they're like, oh, five years Title I. Okay, you know what? Come do five years Title I, and by when, if you get past year three, you're, you're smooth sailing. But three years of just my third year, I had uh, the craziest, the toughest group of kids. And I was I, one of the reasons why I overcame is I asked for help. I asked for my coworkers. And I also grinded out. I gritted it. It was one of those where I might have gotten my ass kicked every day, but I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. Sh- I win because I show up the next day. And during that year, I met some of my most amazing, closest coworkers. I work with some phenomenal coworkers who have a, you know, they have a different background than me, and they're able to really help me communicate because my school is a majority minority school. We were 95% black. Um, I'm a white woman. That is different. And the one thing that has helped me be successful, and I think we have trouble, and this goes back to your point you made earlier, Kitty, about when we talk to children and we're naive about it. Growing up, we grew up in a very, you know, we had people who were black. We didn't have that many, but we were always taught. I I thought racism was over. I thought it ended. I thought we had passed it. My mom sat there and was like, nobody who is alive today was a slave like she's like nobody's still like feeling the effects and she believed that because that is what my grandfather who was a colonel in the u.s army and worked in the pentagon and made all of the militaristic decisions for our military that is what he told her and he's a great man and that authority that he had like to assert that Mm -hmm. opinion is literally reflected in the fact that just because Donald Trump won the presidency people think like they believe that he did a good job just because he's sitting there and saying it Mm -hmm. and the the (laughs) sad thing is is like the same people who sit there and say it are like the farmers and people who like are working class who are basically denying themselves health care mm-hmm. and 
which is crazy because I did a RAM clinic, uh, remote area medical, and it's mm-hmm. pretty much, it's like a, you would see these hospitals in war zones in the third world countries. Yeah. No, we have these in the United States. We yeah. have people who wake up and they're camping out at 2 a.m. Yeah. to get the dental because they cannot afford, and they just, it's pretty much like a, pool, a teeth pooling factory because yeah. the teeth are so rotten. But I will say what it all kind of ties back to is when, um, with the naivety in this is because we white people don't want to talk about color. We we've never because growing up our parents never talked about it. Or you're scared. You're like, do yeah. I refer to them as color? Do I can I call them black? Are they African American? You don't know the proper terminology. Asian, this. It's I mean, like blah. probably part of the reason why people are so hesitant about the LGBTQ community is they're like, it's always changing. I can't keep up. Like people are worried to say the wrong thing. Yeah. To say the wrong thing because we have this like cancel culture and everything, but life is about learning and Mm -hmm. we don't stress that because we like say education, but people associate education with like just going to school and schools are expensive and not everyone can afford it. And that is not like when your family needs you to stay and like work because your grandma is sick or something like there, it's not mm-hmm. a choice whether you can leave your local community yeah and the reality of keeping people trapped in these like cycles of poverty is you burden them with all of these different healthcare, financial like cycles of debt and so their kids are then subject to it or their kids are subject to like emotional trauma from sitting there and being so poor that their friends are making fun of them or bullying them. Or how about this, my, uh, my cousin who he's graduating law school, he didn't have any debt from his law school. He got a scholarship, he lived in his car, he grinded it out, but he did not have health insurance and he was playing indoor soccer and mm-hmm. he ended up breaking some part, some bone in his leg, had to get surgery done and it was like a $20,000, now he has debt from the hospital, $20,000. Mm-hmm. I had to get different procedures done and what's crazy is, and I always, well, one thing I will say with teachers, if you get into a big uh, school district, is you have really freaking great health care. I have yeah. amazing health care. That's oh, probably the only thing. Honestly, I am, like, I'm sitting there rethinking, like, if I can make more money financially in, like, an additional way, I feel so needed in the community mm-hmm. that I would love to stay here and teach. But because... I want to be able to have a voice in this world. If I'm just poor my entire life, we've made it so you need to be wealthy mm-hmm. to have any opinion and to like matter. And I sit there and I'm like, this is fucking wrong. Like, I, we should be caring about each other. Like, you should be enjoying spending time in your community. I shouldn't have to like worry that the trails I'm running on, I'm going to get like pulled into the woods and raped. And like, I do because we've created this world where you don't want to like actually hang out. You want to, you know, there's something to be said for being an introvert and wanting to um, surround yourself with like like-minded people and everything, but your community should be warm places. And we've moved away from that because we're dividing everything. Yeah. We're making it such an issue and I think the media has a huge thing to play of it is they're trying mm-hmm. to they they only find the problem why are we showing mm-hmm. the good things why are we showing when people work together yeah. or the like especially in education the alliances I mean I look at my co-workers I look at what we do every day yeah and now we have such we have I what I love is we have a we have 
diverse. We have an amazing tutor, and she came from India. And then we had uh, one of the best things is the people I've met. My one IA, so an instructional aide, she's now down in Louisiana, and she's awesome. Her name is Ms. Mustafa. I love her, love her, love her. Ms. Mustafa uh, is from Sudan, and she actually was, she pointed out to me the horrors that are going on in Sudan that none of us ever hear of, the genocides that's happening. And I was able to, and sometimes the kids would like make fun of her because she wore a hijab and she had a very thick accent. And one time this kid was making, like going, and she was debating us, and I, and I tried stepping in. She said, Ms. Monahan, I got this. She's like, I survived a civil war in Sudan. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, oh, shit. Like, this woman has survived. Like, she has watched people, loved ones get murdered in front of her. She can handle this little shit yeah. of a middle schooler. And she did a phenomenal job. And now she, you know, she moved. So her son, who's brilliant, can have in-state tuition. And they're doing it. And she was able, uh, she asked me to be one of her references. And they called. And I was just telling all the phenomenal things. I was like, we need people like that in our world. We need different people yeah. who we can ask. I'll never forget, it was the end of, and I wish I would have just written this down. It was one of the, like, the big, one of the big um, Islamic holidays. It's when they fast. Is that Ramadan? Ramadan. Ramadan. Mm-hmm. So afterwards... They, the day after, first off... This makes me, like, miss Mr. Creighton oh. from AB World History. Oh, my goodness. He would have known. But pretty much what happened was it, is she brought us this feast that they had, and she brought us food from, the, like, that they had. It was... Because if you have an open mind, if you're, like... I think people are like, oh, open mind means you mean to agree. No, it means you want to learn. It's asking. You can ask people. And if you ask them in a kind and a courteous way, and if you're just honest and you say, so I have a question about this. And Mm -hmm. can you answer this? Because I want to learn. Everybody, everybody I've talked to, every community member from all different walks of life, if I pose that question, they are going to answer it and they're going to... Be, and that's how you do it. And that's the problem is the media is not telling us that we need to do it that way. Our leader sure as hell ain't leading that way. Is why yeah. can't we ask and why can't we just learn? And that's why I think with you, Katie, and your constant quest to learn and be this student of life. <coughs> and that's what we Thanks. need to do more is we gotta, we can't be afraid. It's also yeah. okay not to know all the answers, y'all. I mean, I mean, I, I know. I, I, I'm I pretty good at the there. New York Times crossword, but. I know. I sat there and I was misusing bipartisan and partisan. I like assumed that bipartisan was divisive since it was like acknowledging two. Mm-hmm. And so I was using them inversely. And like this guy was nice enough to be like, oh, hey, like this is the second time you've done it. I just wanted to let you know I think you're using it wrong. And I was like, thank you. And he was surprised, <laughs> which, yeah. you know, might be because I can be a little like headstrong and or it comes off as bitchy. I like to call it just a woman who is confident in her word and honest. I mean, I was using the word a testify because I guess it's a test. And that's the perfect difference is there's a difference of somebody saying, hey, the word you're supposed to use is a test. But I had yeah. a really snippy friend. It's like, oh, you know, you sound stupid. It's like, okay. One, I don't care if I sound stupid. I've sounded stupid most of my life. I'm blonde, first of all, so I can kind of get away with it because of those stupid sexist values. I will say is you got it's life for women is like a card game. You got to know when to play the bitch card, and my mom says you got to know when to play it's, the dumb it's card. It's basically acting, yeah. Because let me tell you, I'll go into a store like Lowe's, Home Depot. I even if I know the general area, I'm not gonna waste my time walking around. I'm gonna go up to the first man I see, play the <laughs> hi, how are you? Excuse me do you know 
where the twine is. And guess what? They're gonna they're gonna walk me to it. They're gonna actually point out the cheaper twine. They're gonna be They're like, What do you need twine for? And Molly's like, Well, I just wanted to knit these kittens a little basket this weekend. <laughs> I need them so my boyfriend can tie me up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I needed them for fall festival. <laughs> oh, that's even better. I was gonna say Katie's like, Molly, there's better stuff to use for that. I think the great purpose of this podcast and the future episodes, I'm definitely going to be at, back on for more people. Okay. I definitely, we need to do like Molly after midnight. Maybe like, <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Ooh, we could have like a little session. I'm ready for that. We can all see like the fancy speakers, but you know. I know. Maybe. I, I'm like, I have imposter syndrome to the like point where I'm convinced nobody is going to listen at all but but I don't care like that and that's the weird part is like that's the best art with my blog I'm just like I don't care like I'm gonna throw it up because you know I spent so many hours doing it like maybe even if someone's just like oh my god this chick is batshit crazy it's still you know it's 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 something for them to like understand about me I also you know do a lot of stuff alone so my friends don't get to see the things that I do like I like Mm -hmm. using social media to connect with them when they're all over the world and I think the best thing is though it's releasing in our society Mm -hmm. today we don't think we should release we think we should just you know we like discount things like the entertainment industry and fashion and everything because they were luxury industries but that like art is everything to the world like that's Mm -hmm. the one thing that has pretty much existed throughout every civilization since the beginning of time expression yeah Yeah. and like now we're in the u.s and we stigmatize emotions in this way that like you're made fun of if you cry and people ask me how i'm balanced all the time like men in particular will like slide in my dms and be like hey like you seem like really happy and like well-rounded etc like what do you do and i'm just like I, like, uh, first off, I'm I'm not well-rounded. I cry all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, everything. it's okay to a cry, ra- too. A random song can come on, and I'm like, oh, like, this is, like, when I was sitting on the school bus with my iPod Nano for the first time, and I only had eight songs. Just, you know, like, being human is connecting to humans. Mm-hmm. And why do we set these, like, professional standards that make it so we're limiting connection and by just by like stigmatizing it like it's seen as like weird and emotions shouldn't be weird like it shouldn't be weird for me to share my thoughts and feelings and be passionate about life that's literally being human i know that capitalism has kind of warped it so like everyone is just numb to the realities of earth or we live in these man-made societies that um are diverting from like our actual purpose as humans which we are just another mammal on this planet like yes an intellectual one but are we really that intellectual when like look at our fucking societies everyone's depressed and anxious and that's just like i said not sustainable we do need to address it um and so i don't think addressing it means further stigmatizing emotion or removing that emotional side of life because that is the whole point of life like i want to sit there and be able to sit and talk about um, my work with end stage or terminal cancer patients and the hard topic of what point do you establish as stopping treatment so discussing mortality and 
death and dying in the Western medicine world. Death is a part of life in the U.S. We need to be able to talk about this stuff. I like being in those environments because I've had to be in them so much my whole life growing up without a choice. And I know I can bring some sense of like peace and like, like just comfort to them. And I love that about it. And like my mom sees it as like, oh, it's so hard on you. And I'm like, no, it's not hard on me at all. It's only hard on me because I can barely make enough money to support myself as an individual. Like, I would do this every single day of my life. And then you sit there and think about it and you're like, how the hell is it that I'm working 60 hours a week at a good job with a, you know, undergrad and graduate school degree? All I had was like a car plan, my rent, and and the gym. And I went to and from work to home and like Mm -hmm. noodle and a phone lived very minimalistly Mm -hmm. and I was basically like tapping into the ends of my savings Mm -hmm. that is ridiculous like I'm sorry there is no scenario where we should like value work that little because the reality of the world is that for you guys to like go off and like do all these cool things or um live in these like beautifully like ostentatious neighborhoods and stuff you need people like the grounds crew Mm -hmm. and the ones who are willing to actually put in that work and at some point we made this like a rich first working class scenario and the reality of the rich class is you would not exist without exploiting the labor of the work working class and being like a decent human and recognizing that in this world means working towards making those communities better so that they can um just enjoy their lives more because i guarantee you if you made things like you know i think norway actually just rolled out they're doing basically like a government handout program that it's they provide you with like a living wage each Mm -hmm. month um and it's your job to budget you know but they give that to you and it's they're it's new, so it might not work, you know, I'll, I'll I'll say that, but I think the idea is cool because people are unhappy when they can't focus on mm-hmm. things that they want to be able to focus on, and 40 hours a week is a third of our lives. Yeah. People realize that, you know, when they got the, the money is it's like, wait a minute, I don't have to work my whole life and like kill myself for a job and now here I am make it like we have the money we can we have to reorder the things to do it yeah. but life why, why, life is more than just waking up going to your job even if you love your job or you hate your job it should not be your whole life and we have just done this and we have just seen the wreckage and that's why and you're taking parents yeah. away from children like mm-hmm you're not you know you're not creating these sustainable family environments and like you're saying save the children but like the children are suffering unless they're in a wealthy like unless they're born into a wealthy environment they're either suffering because the time the more time they spend away from their parents or without proper access to resources at the end of the day it all comes down to resources Mm -hmm. like that like the worse their life is going Mm -hmm. to be and you know we have all of these people who are coming out of these communities who are the first person to come out of mm-hmm. their communities. And so they're they're making money for the first time in their life. And 
because they're still climbing that ladder. So like you, your life shouldn't be so focused on attaining a goal that the entire time you spend attaining it, you're not able to get back yeah, in any way. And, and love. Yeah, because the reality of it is the majority of you will probably never reach that goal. and But you might if you could go at it at a more sustainable pace. And we're, you know, focusing on things that aren't making people better people, like aren't working towards environmental sustainability, um, political moderation, because the reality of any political position in our government is your position is to represent the group of people who not just elected you but live in the community that you're in like your goal for everybody should be to improve the community not just those who elected you Mm -hmm. and we've moved too far away from that we've made it too easy to accept bribery and um to just chronic senate and house terms and stuff like that so nobody else gets the same choice older generations sit there and they don't see a worthy candidate to be representative of that so they're scared to leave yeah but like at some point like our you know our political system doesn't represent the american people and we do need to address that like as a country and somebody has to say start talking about it. Yeah, and I think if we just take a step back, I think if we just start having the conversation and just listen and then also share. Um, we're so scared right now to have conversations because people don't want to listen. But right now, it's like, I just want to talk. I, my voice is the only voice that matters. When no... There are other voices that do matter. It doesn't mean that yours doesn't matter. It just means right now we need to hear what's going on and we need to also not be afraid to ask and to be honest and say, you know, I don't understand yeah. what you're going through. I will probably never understand what you're going through. And that's okay. And But just being there to say, what can we start doing to start addressing this and have that? And I think if we do that, maybe we might start doing something that starts doing things but yeah we just like you know we need to be good people at the end of the day and I don't exactly know how to go about creating a platform for that in a society that is so quick to judge but like right you know this could go nowhere (laughs) yeah but at the end of the day we can just do the most good all you gotta do is try though just try you can fail. I tell my students this all the time. Yesterday I said, you know, you're not afraid of failing. You're afraid of other people watching you fail. Mm. And that's a scary concept. And I think that's actually... That that's good yeah, that's probably what's benefited me most of all throughout my life was I didn't give a fuck about what anyone else thought of me. And I was just going to do the things I wanted to do just to see what I could do. I just think this kind of stuff is important. High five. That was the weakest high five. (laughs) That's because you're not doing... You got to do it with the other hand. Oh. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was fun, Kate.